0: Before we begin, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, lehenu melech Olam, asher kitshenu b'mitzvah ta'v, v'tzivanu the Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Amen. Well, today is Shabbat HaGadol, the great Shabbat, the Shabbat before Pesach. And as we're preparing for Passover this year, I wanna continue in our theme of freedom and responsibility together. We were talking last week about how important it is to understand our freedom, that our freedom was purchased for us. We did not make ourselves nor can we make ourselves free. Someone else has valued us enough and loved us enough to pay the price for our redemption, to buy us out of slavery and to bring us into the kingdom of our God and of his beloved son, Yeshua, that we would be able to live in freedom. And so as Messianic believers, it's important as we're preparing for Passover and as we're celebrating Passover to take time to consider what Yeshua has done for us and the ways we've been changed because of what he has done. It's important for us to remember that Yeshua came down from heaven and lived among us, and then he was killed, and he died for us. He became the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and he made atonement for us. As you study the Passover, in the scriptures in Torah, you'll discover that not only is, is their sacrifice for, for the freedom and redemption, but their sacrifice as well at Pesach for sin that separates people from God. But people have a lot of different ways of dealing with their sense of guilt and the reality of sin that separates them. And it's important for you and for me to come to terms with, what Yeshua did for us, and what it means to us. He died for us so that we could live for him. He died and was buried, and then he was resurrected from the grave. He returned to his disciples in Jerusalem, in in the Galilee, and then he returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit so that everyone who put their trust in him could receive the Holy Spirit and live for God. And each one of us would become a little sanctuary, a little temple where God could take up residence and live inside of us. Yeshua paid the price. Now sometimes we want to use an alternative way to deal with our sin and our guilt. We want to, for instance, One of the popular ways is to be very religious. I mean, maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you just feel guilty, and you don't wanna feel guilty, so you come to services because you think if you're religious, you don't have to feel so guilty. And honestly, that won't help you for very long. You cannot also win god's favor by being good enough when you examine yourself and your sins and you feel bad you may engage in a very human effort which is to find someone who's worse than you to become your standard and you'll you'll discover people who have done such terrible things that you can look at them and then look at your sins and say, you know, at least I'm not like them. (laughs) And not only that, but I go to the right kind of congregation. So you can justify yourself this way. And this very common way of dealing with sin and with guilt is one of the most popular ways of dealing with sin and guilt. And that is why holidays are very well attended in all religious worlds. Yeah, you know, there are like Yom Kippur Jews. Just like there are Easter Christians. Yeah. And and you've got you've got a fair number of people who will come on holidays because they'll feel too guilty if they don't. And that's why many synagogues are designed for the overflow crowds of the once a year people, or twice if you count Rosh Hashanah. Because they're like churches that are ready for the big Christmas deal. I don't even know the right words for the deal. (laughs) And so it's useful for us to examine ourselves and say, what am I doing, how am I doing, and what do I think about Yeshua? Not what do I know so much but what, what really is going on inside of me? Am I trying to prove to the Lord that I'm worthy? Am I trying to justify myself before him by doing enough good deeds that my good deeds weigh in the balance and outweigh my bad deeds? That's a very popular way. And so it's good to examine ourselves and to see, are we just trying to be more religious than the next guy or go? Is that what our plan is? And, and let me warn you, if you find out that's your plan, I would recommend plan B. <laughs> because if that is your plan, it won't work very well. People have tried it for a long time. It never worked. It doesn't work. And it won't work. Of course, it works for a little while. It works when you find really bad people to set your standards of comparison with. Because you really can say, honestly, I'm not like them. However, when you want to have closeness with the living God of Israel, it's not a matter of comparing yourself to other people. It's a matter of, recognizing his absolute holiness, his righteousness, his perfect goodness, and his perfect love, and the fact that he actually is the truth. And so when we lie to God, it's not even something that works on him. I don't think God is ever saying, well, maybe they are, It's right. You know, I thought it was different. Maybe Adam and Eve, they were telling the truth. Maybe King Saul was telling the truth. No, the Lord's never tempted by our lies. He's not tempted to believe our lies. And he doesn't condescend towards us by acting as if our untruth is equal to his truth. It's not. And he allows our untruth to unravel in our lives to the point that we start yearning for his truth, even though it will cost us. And as we're thinking about Passover, it's useful to think about Yeshua and that he died for us and he paid a price for us. He suffered for us. He endured humiliation, shame, disrespect, dishonor, misunderstanding, judgment. Can you imagine standing before a government official who just intends to humiliate you, strip you, and then execute you? If it were me, I'd do everything I could to get out of it. And when we see the words in Scripture that Yeshua spoke, Father, take this cup from me. He was giving voice as a human to the very things that tempt us. Get me out of this. But he didn't escape it because he said, not my will, but your will be done. And in this is a key to life, to learn to say, not my will, but your will. So that we're not trying to coax God to agree with us, we're trying to align our hearts with his heart. To repent doesn't just mean to feel bad about your guilt, but it means to make a real change, a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of attitude, and a change of, of relationship where we begin to say to God, I want to be close to you. I don't want to see how far I can get away without getting into trouble. When we recognize what Yeshua has done for us and we're appreciative of it, when we realize that he calls us to be born yet again, to become a new creation so that we think differently, our hearts are different, we're transformed on the inside so that we can be transformed on the outside. When we realize that and we take note of it, it's not just an idea, but it's it's life from the dead for us, then we're not trying to just tame that old man, that old woman who is reckless and dishonoring towards God. We are just trying to allow that old man, that old woman to die a peaceful death in the spirit in order that our new man, our new woman can be raised up in the likeness of Messiah. To be raised again, to be born again, to be raised from the grave. It's not just a metaphor, it's not just an image, it's a reality to be so transformed in this way that you're a new creation and that your guilt is dealt with, your guilt before God. Not just individual sins, not just your list of sins that you're ashamed of, but the power that sin had over you is broken. That's the goal that Yeshua has. And when you come close to God on on such terms. It transforms how you want to live. It changes how you experience life day by day, week by week. It changes what you want for yourself and what you want for others. It changes what you notice. It changes your values, your priorities, your attitudes, your responses. Now this week in the Torah portion we read about various offerings and sacrifices, those that deal with sin, with guilt, with fellowship, with peace. And there are some very specific things that are taught. If you're doing the burnt offering, you do it this way. If you're dealing with the peace offering, you do it this way. But there's a special Haftorah reading from Jeremiah chapter seven that accompanies this uh, Shabbat Hagadol that speaks about something else. It's not about doing the sacrifices this way or that way. It's a whole different response. It has to do with what's going on in the heart and how that's connected to our behavior. Jeremiah 7 verse three says, "'Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, "'Mend your ways and your actions, "'and then I will let you dwell in this place.'" Don't put your trust in illusions and say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these buildings. No, if you really mend your ways and your actions, if you act for justice between one person and another, if you don't oppress the immigrant, if you don't oppress the orphan, or the widow, if you don't shed the blood of the innocent in this place, if you don't follow other gods to your own hurt, then only will I let you dwell in this place and the land I gave to your fathers for all time. So Jeremiah is issuing a call to Israel to open up our hearts and our behavior. You see, people sometimes never have a change of heart. They just have a change of outward behavior. And so they start... They start doing religious things to negotiate with God. Well, God, I do this and this and this. And he says, but I don't really know you. Your heart doesn't belong to me. The Torah portion this week, Tzav, has a Haftorah that is so hard, So difficult, if it's not difficult for you, it's maybe because you read it too fast or you're not paying attention or you become over-familiar with it that you think it's about somebody else rather than us. Malachi, chapter three. And I do like what some of my uh, friends of Italian descent say about Malachi, (laughs) that the correct pronunciation is Malachi but maybe in Rome. (laughs) Malachi chapter three. It starts with a question and the question comes from God and here's the question, will will someone rob God? What a question. And then he answers the question, yet you've robbed me. But you say, what? How did we rob you? So here's here's the beginning of this. The Lord is saying, would anyone dare to rob the creator of heaven and earth, the almighty God, the most high, the one who knows everything, the one who sees everything, the all-powerful? and utterly holy, would anyone de- dare to rob him? And his answer is, yeah, they would. And then look at the answer. You say, well, how would we rob you? How'd we rob you? And his answer is, in tithes and offerings. You're cursed for sure because you robbed me. Even this whole nation. Now, important to understand that uh, Malachi is not an anti-Semite. He is a lover of Israel and the Jewish people. He's confronting Israel by the power of the Lord so that Israel can turn, as Jeremiah said, mend your ways, mend your ways. So it's for the purpose of restoration. It's not just to make someone feel more guilty so they can be more religious. It's to get to the heart. And here's the answer, verse 10, bring the full 10% into the storehouse that there would be food in my house. And then the Lord says, now you try me in this or test me or, or prove me or verify for yourselves what I'm saying, says the Lord of Hosts, and see if I won't open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of Hosts. And then verse 12, and all nations, let's say that together, all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So what a hard question that the Lord is asking people, and he's, he's digging into a topic that the people he's addressing really don't want to hear about. And it's dangerous to talk about money to people who don't want to hear about money issues. And the Lord says, can put yourself in the Lord's position. The Lord says, well, I'm going to talk about it. And he asks this question. Anybody dare to rob me? It's almost like, you know, some champion saying, I'll take on any comers. Anybody want to come? And people say, well, who would rob God? And God says, hey, you would. Huh? Not me. I would never do that. I would never get caught at that. I wouldn't want God to ever know. (laughs) I wouldn't want anybody to know. The Lord says, no, people rob me because they don't want to return to me the tithe that I gave them. They want to keep it for themselves, but I told them, no, it's not yours, it's mine. And he says, stop it. Don't do this. Because it will undermine your blessing in this world. It's important to know how the economy works. The economy of God, which works differently than the economy of mankind. Very differently. And so the Lord is saying, I want you to understand how things work so that you can have the right heart. He's trying to get to the heart not just to the behavior. He's trying to get to the really deep parts of the heart and the trust and the confidence that we have. You see, many people withhold because they're afraid if they give, they won't have and then they won't have enough. And they have this idea that, that being Faithful in this way, bringing our tithes and our offerings to the Lord puts us in a place of insufficiency rather than blessing. The scripture compares that thinking to the farmer's thinking who's afraid, the farmer who's afraid to sow seed because he's thinking, if I sow the seed, I won't have any seed. Well, duh. (laughs) You sow the seed in order to get a crop because every farmer knows that. No seed, no crop. Little seed, little crop. Right? And the apostles teach the disciples of Yeshua to remember this. If you ever need help, like why do I not know how these things work? Well, I have to remember. This helps a person understand. But there are many people who have another attitude about money. It's sort of the gambler's attitude, religious gambling. Can we call it that? (laughs) The lottery idea. And it's very popular in America. But not only in America, there are whole continents where it is like a foundation of the theology of the believers. And it goes sort of like this. If you give money today Soon enough, you're going to win the grand prize. And you know what? This appeals to avarice, and it appeals to materialism, and it appeals to raw emotion, and it works really effectively. Why? Because a lot of people are materialistic. A lot of people... Would rather win the lottery than manage money God's way. It seems to be easier. And one of the sure ways to raise a lot of money is to have a speaker who tells the people about others who gave money to him, and then later they got a bonanza. And people hear that and they think, wow, I want to give right now. (laughs) So they're giving in the same way that someone buys a lottery ticket, hoping they're going to win the big one. They're giving in order to get. And this is absolutely upside down. It's convoluted and it's wrong. And here's why. We tithe because we already have received. We tithe because we're saying, Lord, I know what you gave me and I'm returning that 10th to you. We've already received it. And so with gratitude, we're saying, Lord, thank you. We're not saying, I don't have. We're saying, I do have. And we're acknowledging it. And though everybody likes a discount (laughs) and everybody wants to know, like, what's the wholesale on this? The Lord has one price for all. Now here's the thing that's interesting. We were just reading recently about Taruma offerings which work completely differently. Taruma offerings were offerings for the sanctuary and they were to be received only from people who really wanted to give. Only from those whose hearts were stirred, whose spirits were stirred and made them willing. And the Lord basically said, if you're giving for another reason, keep it. I don't want it. But he never said that about the tithe. He never said, yeah, if your heart's not right, keep it. He said, no, get your heart right. Just do it. Nike made so much off of his attitude. But it's not just about money, it's about the heart. I want you to get this. Because it's really easy when we talk about money for people to think, oh, the need is for money. No, the need is to get the heart right. That does touch money. But that's not all it touches, which is what makes Malachi so difficult. Let's continue. Verse 13. This is where it gets even harder. You have spoken harshly or arrogantly against me, says the Lord, and I want you to see the parallel in structure and form. And you ask, why? What have we said against you? You said, it's futile to serve God. And I think I think it's really easy to say, well, I I never said that. He said, yeah, you didn't say that. You prayed that. You thought it in your heart. You felt it. You communicated it within yourself and to other people. And it goes something like this. What's the point? I give up. I don't know why I should keep sacrificing. What am I getting from this? You see, that, Show something. When we're saying in our heart of hearts, it, it's pointless to serve the Lord, what do we get by carrying out his requirements? Let's say requirements. You see, this, you see the connection between ties and this? Serving the Lord and carrying out his requirements. Everybody does what they want to do. That's what it means to want to do something. How many people like chocolate? Yeah, no one has to force you to eat chocolate. (laughs) When we want to do something, we want to do it. That's what it means to want to do something. It's so simple. And everybody is capable of doing what they want to do. So there are times when We think the only thing that matters is, do we want to do it? And if we don't want to do it, we shouldn't do it. Well, that is absolutely terrible thinking. I'll give the most extreme example that I use for myself. I don't care how people feel about not killing me. I'm just glad they don't kill me. They may want to kill me. They may have daggers in their eyes. They may be thinking this or that. But what really is important to me is that they don't do it. You see what I'm saying? Because that means I'm still alive. What I prefer is that they be nice and actually care about me. But for all those people who don't, I'm just glad that for whatever reason they don't hurt me. I'm a simple man. They may not wanna go to jail, that's good enough for me. They may not wanna live with a life of guilt, good enough for me. I remember early on when I was a new believer, I heard a, a, a teacher say something like this, fear is not the best motivator, but it's better than nothing. And I'm good with that. I'm good if, if, if the only thing that keeps a person on the narrow road in some way is that they're afraid. It's like, okay, that at least will hold you for a little while. But there's a, a danger that the Lord is speaking about. And that is in our heart of hearts, we'll start devaluing the benefit of serving the Lord. That we will come up with reasons for ourselves why we should stop. And we'll say, it follows this form, it's it's futile to serve the Lord. What do we get by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? And so we call the arrogant blessed, and we recognize this. Why is it that evildoers are absolutely prospering in this world? And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So you see, in their heart of hearts and in their mind, which is connected, they have figured something out. People who hate God seem to be prospering. So it must not even matter. And in light of that, I'll just do whatever I want to. That's what the problem is looking for a way to do whatever you want to. It means the heart hasn't been transformed. It means there's not an alive appreciation of what Yeshua has done for us, and something else has been keeping that person engaged, and now they're fully under it, and the Lord is saying, I see it, I see it in the ties. I see it in your attitude about service and the way you think about life itself, and, and I wanna get it fixed. And so I have to touch the heart. And the Lord surely does that. He touches the heart. He engages the heart. I I told you recently about that time I was driving home from work and I saw a vagrant type person. The Holy Spirit said to me, stop and give him 20 bucks. And I rebuked that thought, and kept driving, and turned the corner, and kept going until I started feeling disgusted with myself. And to get rid of that bad feeling, I turned around and circled the block and came looking for the guy, but he wasn't there, which I thought stunk, and I was disturbed, because now I was ready to give him the 20 bucks and I didn't understand what was going on, and the Holy Spirit said to me, sometimes there aren't second chances. But I've reviewed that whole experience from more than, I think, 35 years ago. And I I realized that there was only one reason why I was ready to give the money after all. It was to get rid of the guilt. I felt terrible. I just didn't want to feel bad. And Anybody who does fundraising knows that one of the best ways to raise money is to make people feel bad and then to give them an opportunity to not feel bad by giving money. It works so well in America. It is the most successful means of manipulating uh, people's behavior. And this is why it's done all over the place. So... In looking back at that experience, I came to terms with something. Do you know what the problem was? It was that I had a stinking attitude. That was the problem. And even when I was ready to give, I still had the same stinking attitude. Do you see? I just didn't want to feel bad. But my attitude was the problem. The condition of my heart was what the problem was that manifested itself in my behavior. Now, the other day, we had a guy out to fix our washing machine. It's taken too long to get it fixed. Uh, We had to wait on parts, and he came with the parts. And as he was fixing it, I was glad. You know, well, thank goodness, finally. And I felt the Holy Spirit. And And at the time, I didn't connect it. The Holy Spirit said, "Give him twenty bucks." <laughs> and only last night, when I was like revering it, it's like, "What is this in twenty bucks in me?" You know, what is? What's my problem? And uh, if you give me a hundred, I'll find him and give him to him. So the twenty bucks came up. Maybe this is like the price. You know, I have a low threshold. (laughs) And so, at the time, I remember thinking, huh, 20 bucks. He's being paid. So I went through this little process, but there was a temptation. The temptation was, I will busy myself to the point that he suddenly leaves. And then I go, well, I would have. (laughs) That was the temptation. I want you to understand, the temptation. But it wasn't the attitude of my heart. The attitude of my heart was, yes, sir. I immediately got the $20 out. And I looked at it, it's like. And I know the attitude of my heart at that time as I was looking at it, I thought, this isn't mine anymore. It used to be mine, it's his. And so I hung around, I just watched him for a while in order to deal with that temptation of escape. You know, like if I can get away from this, I won't have to do it. So I positioned myself, it probably felt like I was stalking him. (laughs) and when he was finished I thanked him and I said I want to buy you and your helper lunch I gave him 20 dollars he said thank you and he left and we started using the washing machine I was so glad after eight loads it stopped working again (laughs) and I didn't say why did I give the guy 20 bucks I didn't have that response. My response was, Lord, I did what you said. I'm happy with that. It wasn't about the washing machine. Do you understand that? It wasn't about 20 bucks. It was about my heart. And I was looking to see, did anything change in my heart since 35 years ago? Because I'm still vulnerable as all of us are Right? Don't fool yourself. I know some of you, you were looking for a person to compare yourself to who did worse than you so you could feel better and now you can go home and say, that rabbi, he is definitely worse than me. <laughs> and so I've served you today by exposing myself. In the, you, you have to be careful how you say that. By exposing the condition of my heart. (laughs) And I want to tell you that (laughs) I don't feel less guilty or more guilty based on whether I talk about it or don't talk about it. This is not a way for me to say, well, see, Lord, <laughs> okay, <laughs> this stinks, but I'll tell them. No, this is the life we live. We need to be honest with each other, tell the truth. When Yeshua was uh, crying out and saying, take this cup from me, that's in the Bible. Do you get that? When. When Peter was rebuking the Lord and Yeshua said, get thee behind me, Satan. Of course, he said it in Hebrew, not in English. So there was no (laughs) "thee." That made it into the Bible. So that we could learn about ourselves in reality. Because the truth will set us free. Not our imagination, not our lies, not the illusions that we have. We need to be just dead serious. And if you've been negotiating through your religious behavior a way to uh, justify yourself before God, give it up, it's not gonna work. It won't help. It's a temporary solution that doesn't really fix anything. And if you tried to be holier than thou, you can always find someone who will be your thou, who you're holier then. But, <laughs> but God, when God is your thou, you're never holy enough. His holiness embraces you as you embrace him. Because he loves us. And he's good for us. And we have to get beyond doing just what we want to do that we like doing, that we're comfortable doing, whether it's in our finances or whether it's in our service or use of time and money. And do what needs to be done. And it's this important combination to be wholehearted, to do voluntarily what you're stirred to do and then to do well. What's required of you whether you like it or not? And when we embrace those two sides and everything in between, you know what? Our heart gets strong and we become powerful in doing the will of God. Not my will, but your will. Well, that's enough for today. Some of you are... You're just begging God, can we get through this sermon already? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you'd rather be tickled, just watch TV. (laughs) So let's close with fervency in our hearts and say to the Lord, Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will but your will be done. And if the Lord's revealed a stinking attitude in you, just tell him the truth, he already knows, he's the one who showed you. Lord, I wanna tell you something, I've got a stinking attitude. Well, duh. Now we can talk. Yeah, don't run off in guilt and do all sorts of religious things to avoid the question. Don't say, what, what? what, what? What did I ever do wrong? It's a dangerous question. Some of us have learned when you say, well, what did I do to deserve this? He said, I'll tell you. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, we're coming before you in the name of Yeshua, the one who shows us mercy, the one who bore our grief, the one who suffered the very punishment that we deserve that he did not deserve. And though he was innocent and we were not. He became atonement for us that our true guilt could be dealt with definitively. And we refuse every false sacrifice and every manipulative behavior. And we say, Lord, we're not worthy, but you are. And you are righteous and you alone. And you are good and you alone. But we want to begin to take to heart what's in your heart. We want to think like you're thinking. We want to be more like you. And so with honesty and sincerity and humility, we come before you, Lord, and we say, help us. Deliver us. Give us the freedom of your Son to do the will of God. And I pray, Lord, as we're getting ready for a Pesach, that we would take notice of the chametz in our heart, in our emotions, in our thoughts, in our perspectives, in our attitudes, in our will, in our entrenched behaviors, in our habits, and that we could remove this chametz in a way that pleases you. Thank you for the freedom that Messiah has purchased for us. We owe everything to you. Amen. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Hey, don't forget to, to meet us next door at the Shalom Center afterwards for coffee and chametz. Yeah, we've got some bagels and other chametz we're gonna eat up. Not a whole lot, but enough where you can eat some yeast.